0: In terms of what does give me hope, um, the underlying resilience of the natural world itself is something that I get Mm. great hope from. If you think of individual animals that might be doomed, it's very easy to just despair. But if you think about the ecosystem as a whole, something will survive. And that thing Mm. will be beautiful in some way.
1: Hello and welcome to The LodgeCast, a nature and wildlife podcast brought to you by The Beaver Trust. I'm Sophie Pavel. And I'm Eva Bishop. Each episode we bring you the latest news from The Beaver
2: Trust as we welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes.
1: And we also explore the state of nature in the UK and speak to fascinating experts and inspiring individuals along the way. Today, we're
2: joined by Emily Knight, a renowned broadcast journalist, producer and presenter of some of the BBC's most popular nature radio shows and podcasts.
1: Greetings, Eva. Here we are at episode four of our third series on The Lodgecast. Where does the time go? I don't know. It's been such fun, though. It's a fantastic
2: series. I'm really excited about it all.
1: Um, How are you doing today? good thanks Yeah, caffeinated and raring to go and really excited for this uh this week's episode because we're talking all about science communication which it's right up your street right up my street yeah and yours I believe I mean you oh, know <laughs> let's dive straight in then yeah yeah um science
2: communication podcasts, broadcasting the whole lot it's really really fascinating what was your path into science communication
1: um, well, it was slightly accidental as I've, I've told you before. It was kind of, um, it was, it was a discipline and an area of work in an industry that I just wasn't familiar with at all. It's so new and it's so exciting and it's so dynamic and fast paced. Well, it is new, was, isn't it? The concept of yeah. a
2: degree in science communication is new. Exactly. So that wasn't around when I was at university, back no. in the day. <laughs> <laughs> Just
1: a mere five I'll years ago, back surely. Back to the 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, when I was doing zoology, I was in my final year and I was going through all different phases of I want to be a doctor, I want to be a dentist, I want to be a vet, I want to be a pilot, blah, 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 you know, all the <laughs> all the usual things. And then just some sort of late night, probably wine-fueled hunt around on Google, suddenly came across this master's in science communication at UWE, and then I discovered that a couple, just a handful of other universities in the country also offer a master's in science communication. I was like, what is this? Science and communication? Don't we do that already? And what was amazing is that we don't, we kind of haven't. And it's kind of now, I guess, in the era of social media and amazing TV and podcasts and radio, the need for a middleman to translate hard, academic, complex topics to make sense and be relevant to your everyday person who has Mm. everyday stuff to deal with and think about is so vital. Mm. I mean, what does science communication mean to you? Well, you've just completely scuffed my next question actually, which was, Ah, um, (laughs) no, no, it's good. You've answered it. So it was
2: going to be, what is the difference between talking about a subject and science communication? And I think you've just Mm. answered it in that what you're doing is translating fact, scientific fact into something that, everyone can understand anyone can understand mm. and that mm. means something to them in their um frame of reference which is
1: quite interesting
2: um what
1: was your question <laughs> well my question is uh, and we've talked about this i guess off the record before but would you consider yourself a science communicator um
2: no i don't no i don't but um see i find that so interesting but i think it's only are. because it's a thing it, yeah yeah well it, it hasn't been a thing for me i haven't taken it as a career step I guess that's the difference
1: Mm. but just because we've got just because I've got a degree on paper that says science communication doesn't necessarily mean I'm a science communicator I would argue that as communications director of an environmental slash climate charity beaver trust
2: um
1: (laughs) that that you do science communication every single day
2: yeah and I do I mean that's absolutely true but I'd never have that as a one of the things
1: that I am which is interesting Mm. in itself that is really Um, interesting because I would immediately yeah. label you as a site, we're doing it now, you know, this podcast. label. And label, label. as yeah. comms director, what interested you about giving, <laughs> what interested you about giving um, a Beaver Trust podcast, The Green Light? Well, um, partly prompted by uh, your enthusiasm for it, and
2: but your understanding of the podcast <laughs> <Harassment>. space, <laughs> Harass- <slash harassment. laughs> um, and something that we can dive into with Emily, our guest, later, because i i know i knew little about the podcast world actually before we started looking into it but it's clearly a such an important way to reach a huge amount of people these days yeah and to get um, information across in in small segments and i mm. think that our first couple of series and certainly this one as well have started to prove that so we've covered some amazing topics and we've done it with through the science communication you know the, mm. the, the the, uh, presenting of scientific fact as well as fun as well as with a, an yeah. authority on the subject the fact and, of and created the these and the
1: fact of,
2: with <laughs> one exception in a slightly <laughs> embarrassing series three moment but um i think we've really shown that so it's it's been you know people um that the medium of audio these days is so popular
0: Mm, mm. And
2: if you can create sort of half hour nuggets where people can learn a lot and really enjoy it, it's a fantastic yeah. way to, to do that. Yeah. But, but that's something that I'd really like to put to Emily as well, is is, you know, explore the world of podcasts with her and where sure. it could
1: go. Yeah. Yeah. And one um question I, I really want to ask you is why do you think beavers or do you think beavers are a unique science communication tool? Um <laughs> and if so why? I've just got an image
0: you... of a beaver as
1: a tool, like a physical a spanner, <laughs> spanner. <laughs> do such a tool.
2: <laughs> anyway. They are a huge <coughs> science communication opportunity, definitely. Nice. There is a lot that needs to be Good. communicated well and with scientific rigour behind it, but at the same time debunking myths and mm. you know, that because they they are this mythical thing because they haven't been in our landscape for so long. And so people don't quite know what to expect, and therefore inevitably rumours will start. As well as because they're such complex and impactful creatures, there is a lot to learn. So there's a definite need for science communication on beavers, where there might not be on other on other creatures, and their keystone impacts and their landscape um, transformation, all that kind of stuff. It really demands science communication which is why Mm. communications generally is so critical for beaver trust yeah um, as we welcome beavers back to our rivers to restore our countryside and create resilient landscapes
1: (laughs) if you will (laughs) um so
2: yeah and they're but they're also a really exciting way to do it because they're really engaging as creatures and there's so much that you can talk about so much you can take any angle with a beaver (laughs) and it's brown and furry Um, (laughs) way
1: wow okay
2: (laughs) shall I stop how about have you done podcasting before you're you're very good at it
1: oh thank you no I haven't but I mean I've I've been an audio an audio nerd for as long as I can remember I was obsessed with story tapes and audiobooks when you know I didn't really listen to music growing up I just listened to story tapes and Radio Mm. 4 has been the background to my life really um and so you know my parents just always have it on in the background and it's such a comfort for me and I've learned so much and I think um that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited to chat to Emily because she just she works for the place that I grew up to in a way Mm. you know really for and all these things but no I haven't done a podcast before but I can definitely appreciate um and even since I finished studying podcasts have just boomed and again that's something that I think we'll get into with Emily yeah I think taking science
2: communication to the next level the obvious next step for me So the climate emergency demands really, really strong science communication. And Mm. it's a whole, it's a really interesting subject, I think, if you start to look at that, which we won't now because we don't have a massive amount of time. But if you segment the population, you need to communicate it in different ways. And you need to use science communication to engage on all sorts of different levels. And it's absolutely fascinating, I think, if you
1: start to look into that. You can go wrong with it. You can go drastically yeah. wrong with it. And I think that it's it's such a responsibility to be that middleman and to have that microphone and to be the one relaying these vital messages because you, know, you don't know who you're going to be speaking to and what people are going to be really digesting. And so if you mm. haven't done your research and you haven't spoken to the right people and you haven't understood the context in which a massive piece of new data has been discovered within then you know you could be doing more damage than good in terms of education so we do have such a responsibility and it's such an exciting time to be in science communication at the moment it is it is so should we speak to the lady with the microphone and that responsibility oh yes please so we are so excited to have the amazing emily Knights with us for this episode now she calls herself a radio radio on twitter which we highly respect her for and quite rightly because she's responsible for incredible bbc ear food like nature bang extinction tapes for radio 4 and of course the bbc earth podcast she's one of our favorite people to listen to and we are thrilled that you are about to join us in chatting with her Emily Knight, what a treat
2: to have you on our podcast, such a podcast supremo. Welcome to the Lodgecast.
1: Hello, lovely to be here. Thanks so much. Oh, now, first of all, Emily, we need you to do the vital task of judging our beaver fact off. So essentially, Eva (coughs) and I will both share with you our favourite beaver fact of the week, and you get to decide totally subjectively which fact you think is better or more interesting. It's totally up to you. So I'm going to kick off beavers can wrestle so a photographer called colin black fairly recently captured very rare footage of two beavers in tayside in scotland neck deep literally neck deep in the river completely at it using their forepaws like boxing gloves at each other and so my fact is that beavers are not always cute and cuddly and there's a lot more to their behavior than we care to admit so beavers are wrestlers brilliant wrestlers okay that is that is (laughs) interesting do we know why they were fighting We don't know why those two are fighting. I imagine they had a little bit of a disagreement about a lady, let's say. (laughs) I read something recently that they actually enjoy the play of it, actually. I might have imagined that,
2: science communication. Bit of a curveball. Um, (laughs) Curveball in there. I mean, if
0: they're doing it for playing, then we've come right back round to cute again, and uh, you're going to struggle to best that fat. Yeah, so I
2: forget I said that. Yeah, (laughs) damn. Cheers, Eva. Come on, then. Can I have half a point if you win? Um, here's my so here's my fact, which I think is really exciting, actually. Not exciting, but interesting. So you you imagine in a beaver pond and they build their dams and they store lots of water and it sucks into the countryside and that's really, really vital for our waterways. But the depth of water storage is also important to the beaver. So they will dig down as well as just um, allow the water to accumulate. And it serves two purposes. One is that... So that there is deeper water below the frost line so that they can keep doing their stuff and keep moving around. And secondly, um, so the predators can't hunt them in shallower water. They can hunt in shallow water, but they'll be safe in deeper water where wolves, cougars, etc. can't stand. So I think they're really cunning in, you know, sculpting their ponds
0: to serve a couple of purposes. Okay. That's a really, that's a good fact. Oh. Mm, well, do you have like some kind of countdown, you know, deliberation time clock, or do <laughs> I just have to like do. make a judgment straight do. in? <laughs> <laughs> <Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-boo>. Quit, <fire>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, my instincts are them having a wrestle is a delightful mental image, and I'm enjoying it very much. But I don't think that's that uncommon for an animal, right? Whereas I think Eva, you've got me, you've given me a fact which is unique to beavers, and <sighs> uh, I think, okay, although I was, you know, I was, I was very, very close to being persuaded but I think I'm going to have to go for the, the digging out a deep hole. That's very clever. Also, I really like the idea of some kind of predatory animal trying to get to the beaver and just getting out of its depths yeah. and panicking and getting out of the water. That sounds great. It's sounds cool, right. isn't it? I still think it's just amazing <laughs> that they are they're acting as if wolves and cougars are still in our landscape. That's what's so fun. Amazing. Yeah, well, maybe well they're seeing done. us, us, us with our long legs, and thinking I'm gonna, I'm gonna go deep. We need to be at least six foot deep because these guys are tall. <laughs> Beware
1: the wild swimmers.
0: Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> oh Thank okay you. fair enough honored well done good one right emily you are a broadcast journalist and these days you're most likely to be found working both behind and in front of the mic for bbc radio four and other outlets but first and foremost we must ask the obvious here on the Lodgecast: what is your connection with our favorite beavers
0: well, uh, well, what could, could I describe myself as a keen amateur in relation to beavers? I just, you I mean, they're amazing can. animals. A safe space to do so. <laughs> <laughs> they they are amazing animals. I can't say that I knew a huge amount about them until I made a program about them, um, which happened. I made the program over the course of the last year, but it was covering the beaver reintroduction at Kabila Farm in Cornwall. Of the mm. delightfully named Sigourney Beaver and Jean Claude Van Damme. and <laughs> I was making a program about the family there, you know, um, Merlin and Robin, who have been doing some rewilding projects on their land, and have you know the beavers were a big part of their rewilding project. And actually, that's how I found the story, which turned out to be a, a really big human story about Robin getting COVID and and the family recovering together. But the 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 initial mm. starting point for it was. Um, a colleague actually spotted, I think, a, a tweet about this beaver release and said, "Emily, you, you like, you have to look at this." There's a there's a beaver called Segauli beaver being released in Cornwall. She knew that it would be right up my street, so I started looking at it, and then and then just found out more and more about the whole process. You know, the whole programs of reintroductions across the country, and I just have been slightly obsessed with them ever since. I mean, the, just the capacity they have for sort of world building is mm. incredible.
2: Mm. What was most surprised you about
0: beavers? Do you think? Well, I think I always knew that they, you know, that they built lodges and things. I think I think most of my knowledge of beavers came from the uh, the serious documentary "Lady and the Tramp." I don't know if you remember that one. But, uh, <laughs> there is a there is a beaver character in that that does a lot of serious woodworking um, and uh, oh, helps them I out. About that, yeah, he, he, he. I think he cuts off. Tramp's muzzle at some point, but you know, you also see him chopping down oh. wood and stuff. So I didn't really know that, that much about them at all. But I mean, I think from having worked with um, Merlin Hanbury Tennyson over at Kabilla and, and having had him talk in such like excited terms about the beavers, yeah. he told me that they look like they are often sort of bleeding from the mouth, but it's not blood, it's rust because they've got such high iron content in their teeth. Because Mm -hmm. they have to be so strong that they have this sort of slightly gruesome looking bloody mouth occasionally, but it's not blood at all. It's rust. And I was like, they've got iron teeth. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Um, Emily, we often ask some of our guests whether they have, uh, we've coined this phrase, Lost their beaver virginity, i.e., seen a beaver for the first time. <laughs> Have you lost your beaver virginity? Did you see a beaver when you were making that programme?
0: I saw beaver tracks. I saw the stumps of trees that had clearly been gnawed by a beaver. I saw the drag marks that they had been dragging trees. I did not see a beaver. I still have my beaver virginity intact.
1: Yet, yet to lose it. Well, we we hope you lose it soon because it's very exciting.
0: Well, I've recently (laughs) seen that there are beavers in the Avon now. Obviously, I'm based in Bristol, so really not too far away from me. So there's hope for me, I think. I could maybe see a beaver.
2: Definitely. Get out hunting. It's
0: amazing. It's really, really exciting. Best of luck,
2: yeah. Um, But taking it back to the start, how did you get to be making such amazing science
0: and nature content for National Radio? How did it all come about? Oh, gosh, I feel so lucky to be. I mean, I've only really ever had sort of two passions in life. One of them was radio and I've always loved speech radio. You know, I was one of these kids that was raised on Radio 4 and I've always loved natural history, hey, <laughs> you know, as a real Attenborough nerd sitting mm. there watching all of the, you know, Attenborough documentaries as a kid. So I, do, I feel incredibly lucky to have been sort of thrust into this niche where I'm really doing exactly what I want to be doing. It really all started. So I've been working for Radio 4, making documentaries here in Bristol for coming on for about 10 years. And I'd made all kinds of things. I mean, when you're at the start, you make you make anything that anyone will let you make, really. All kinds of different factual stuff. And the real twist where I got to start working more with natural history came uh, when the BBC released Blue Planet 2, the uh, big, you know, natural history mm. series. And we that were commissioned in this department. And That old Do you remember that? <laughs> uh, we were commissioned to make a podcast um about it and i was you know really really luckily i got assigned to it as producer and then there just came a moment where we were like okay we don't really have a budget for a presenter for this program so me and the other producer my colleague becky ripley we they were sort of you know they were looking around for who we could get and you know who would be able to do it really quickly and who would be able to turn it around uh, you know in the time we needed and they thought well why don't you guys just present it and it was a real leap of faith because I mean I had presented stuff in in news broadcasting before, mm. but I'd not really done any presenting in that kind of sense. You know where where you're where you're putting your personality in it. I hadn't really done yeah. anything yeah. like that, and it was a real learning curve. But it went down really well. People really liked that podcast, and since then Becky yeah. and I have done various things. We make a series on Radio Four called Nature Bang, which is all about sort of Big merging fans of the over here. yeah 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 okay. so <laughs> good. <laughs> it's a really fun programme to make. Um, and I also make a, a series called the BBC Earth podcast, um, which is also about nature. So I mean, once I was given the opportunity to get my teeth into working a little bit with natural history, I just sort of ran towards it. And then and now here I am really. Amazing. I think we'd like to quiz you
2: a little bit on your podcast expertise and where that whole world could go. But but I'd like to ask first, how do you think of broadcast priorities have changed recently in response to the growing interest and awareness of the climate crisis if at all
0: gosh that's a really interesting question um i would say actually i mean the biggest changes i think you can see you can you sort of if you look at the big blue chip bbc tv shows mm there's been a real marked change between you know the days when people were just very, very timid about the idea of giving any kind of moral message behind the programs. Mm, and yeah. when that moral message started sneaking in and the world started being more receptive to it. And now there is, there is always a moral message to those things. I mean, it would feel ridiculous to put those programs out without saying, you know, everything <laughs> we've showed you yeah. so far is in terrible danger and we have to do something yes. about it. I'm not sure if the podcast world has has quite done that same journey simply because podcasting came in so so much later and I Mm. feel like there has always been quite a strong narrative in the podcast world about conservation I mean there you know you do hear those conversations happening in the podcast world so I don't I don't I don't think the podcast world has been quite so I don't want to use the word timid but just has been quite so cautious about about a conservation message I guess Mm. it's partly because with a podcast as well you know you have to your audience are subscribers so if you have Mm. a podcast that is themed around conservation you know the people who are listening are already Mm, that's it isn't it kind of
1: signed up yeah Mm. I mean Mm. Emily we must talk about how ridiculously popular audio content has become since the pandemic especially I mean some studies suggested it soared by like 76 percent in the last couple of years why do you think this is do you think people are looking to podcasts and radio for escapism or for education and I guess sort of tacked onto that um how seriously should we i guess all on this in this call now as science communicators start taking this hunger for audio content
0: gosh well i mean it's one of the nice things about working for the bbc is you do occasionally get people who are responsible for all the data they come and they tell you why (laughs) they think people listen to podcasts so i can tell you what we're told i mean I i it's it does seem to be that there is a particular relationship from audio that gives you a sense of intimacy that television doesn't there's sort of there's no screen mm. in the way of you and what you're experiencing it's going right there into your head there's mm. a real hunger i think for storytelling and i think mm. you can sort of go back to our uh, ancestral past and think about the way we used to tell each other stories and it would have been that sort of you know that stereotype of sitting around a campfire and hearing someone tell you stories and that just chimes much better with the podcast world I think than it did than than television or movies because you know you can you can sort of get on with your ordinary life you can be mm. doing the washing up or you can be driving somewhere and you can have someone sort of in your head telling you stories and I think that's a really lovely way to experience the world and so yeah I think that's that could explain why people you know are getting more and more into podcasts I mean particularly in the pandemic when everyone's been so lonely that craving Mm, mm. for sort of an intimate connection with someone who's going to you know tell you comforting stories or even awful Mm. doom scrolling you know there's a lot of news podcasts out there which are also quite a good way of keeping up with the world without feeling like you have to view it all so
1: it's actually companionship
2: isn't it because it's got the personal edge Mm. that's what you're getting out and lack of distraction
1: Yeah. yeah amazing and what 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 role do you see um, podcasts and the things that you make and then also the sort of potential for this medium and platform playing in helping the climate and biodiversity crisis and getting more people connected to nature?
0: Well mm, so that's I mean, any way that you can communicate a message is going to help, right? Mm. Any mm. way that you can get a message out to people. I suppose one of the problems with podcasting is that we sort of mentioned before this idea that if, if you're if you're listening to a podcast, it's because you found it and you've already subscribed to it. So in a sense, the people who are going to be listening to conservation themed podcasts are people who are already bought in, right? They're already mm. you know signed up to the idea that we need to get busy with conservation. They're already on your side. Getting the message to cross the divide, I think, is is really hard. And I'm not sure it's a problem that podcasting can by itself solve. Mm. But I mean, in terms of what I do, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I'm making really is about instilling an idea of joy in the natural world. And I think that's a lot of what a lot of television that's concerned with the natural world does. It's it's just look at it, just, just experience the wonder of these things and these places and these animals and these behaviours that you could never really have understood you know without without someone telling you Mm. um Mm. and i think that is got has got to be step one in getting people interested in preserving the natural world the slightly more political side of how exactly we do that uh, uh, you know it is it's difficult that's not something that i work on quite as much although i have done i mean in the department that i work in in bristol we make a uh, a documentary series called costing the earth which is sort of the bbc's Mm -hmm. flagship uh, environmentalism podcast and i've made a few episodes of that over my time and um you know, that's, that's been around for a long time.
2: Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your, the stuff you produce for Radio 4 has an awesome balance of information and humour. What's your process for finding the gold in the stories that you produce? And, and no, no doubt some species lend themselves a lot easier to innuendo than others. beavers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um. <laughs> I think you've just got to go with your instincts haven't you I mean if it makes me laugh then I can assume <laughs> that I can translate like what it is that I'm finding funny to other people I was given a tip very early in my career by someone who's like if you can get yourself to the position where you're making programs basically just for you then you'll probably mm. make better programs you know oh, and it's amazing. a real luxury to That's be able a to do really it good,
1: yeah and so I'm imagining you sat there behind the mic chuckling away to yourself as you are recording and <laughs> rehearsing. I suppose that's a good sign, yeah? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, a certain amount of that. I mean, there is, yeah, it, when I make the stuff with Becky Ripley, there is a, a we're, we're both really conscious that we're having a lot of fun in studio and that can sound great or it can sound really self-indulgent. And, you know, so you have to make sure... Oh, but it works really so well. It works so <laughs> well. true.
2: I feel that when we talk about our eggs here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in joke. The point is, like, if you're having more fun than your audience then you need to rein it in. But if mm. you can bring your audience with you and like translate why you're having so much fun to them, then then it can yes. work. But ultimately so I guess, you, ca- you, can't be, you can't be making stuff that you're like, hmm, academically, I think probably pe- this will make people laugh. It has to be something that makes you laugh. Otherwise it's just yeah. not going to work. Yeah, nice. that's such
1: a good point. And I think ultimately you want to, as a listener, feel like that you're just overhearing a conversation with a couple of mates or you're just kind of a fly on the wall on a very chilled out conversation and you feel very part of that group.
0: And I think that's something that you and Becky especially do really well. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, that's what we're trying to do. So if we do it well, I'm (laughs) delighted.
1: Um, I imagine that, especially pre-COVID, when we were able to be out and about a bit more, that you have a fair few anecdotes that involve wielding a microphone in a far-flung location. Do you have any of those that you'd care to share? <laughs>
0: Ooh, well, yeah, I mean, you might be surprised. I don't go out to these far-flung locations as often as I would like to. I mean, when I'm making the BBC Earth podcast, I'm mostly speaking to people who have been to these amazing far-flung locations, and they're mm. mostly telling me about their, and you know, and then I go back to the studio and I make this wonderful sound-rich world you know i'm doing a portrait of a jungle that i've never been to but i mean i do i'm, I'm very lucky that i've been to uh, so i made a series um, a few years ago now called planet puffin where we got to spend a breeding season on the isle of may which is an island um, oh, wow. just off the coast of scotland i mean we did we weren't there for the whole season obviously we went up a few times to see key moments in the breeding season but that was a real treat i mean the isle of may is a place that you can visit on sort of day trips. You can go on a boat and stay there for a day, have a picnic, get a look Mm. at some puffins, and then you can go home. But getting to stay overnight uh, on the Isle of May is something that mostly only the seabird researchers get to do. And we got to stay Mm. overnight, and we got to, you know, experience what it must be like for them staying there, you know, day in, day out through awful weather and beautiful weather um, on this island. And we got to Mm. do the stuff that they get to do as well. I mean, we got to ring puffins. We got to go out and grovel, which is where you put your entire arm, like up to the shoulder, down into this...
1: is that what burrow. it's called? <laughs> it's called groveling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Not sort of go and say uh, a thousand apologies to a puffin. No.
0: It, well, exactly. I mean, we were doing that too. I mean, <laughs> it, what you do, when you when you I'm do so your groveling sorry. and you reach your arm down into this burrow and you feel a bird. I mean, I can wow. see why they call it groveling because I was just going, I'm so sorry, I, you, you don't want oh, this. Really? You don't want That's this arm oh, just coming into your world. that You know, I'm, <laughs> I promise you this is for your own benefit in some way that you will never understand. But I, I really don't mean <laughs> to just, just squeeze you like this. But... Um, yeah, it's for oh. it's for checking whether there's an egg. So you sort of have to nudge the bird out of the way just to see if there's an egg under them. And then you excuse monitor it me? and then you can Yeah, excuse oh, I just want to amazing. have a little feel of
1: your eggs, I'm sorry. I feel like it's a very British it would bring out the, the Britishness
2: of yes, everybody. I'm so sorry.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just excuse me, I'm terribly sorry. i will woke in a minute. Thank <laughs> yeah. you so much. <laughs> You sort of leave a digestive oh. biscuit behind as a thank you.
1: Yes. Sugar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice.
0: Um,
2: moving slightly sideways, something that interests us here is to ha- how basically women in the workplace. Um, in a nutshell, so you are a young woman in a totally competitive industry, broadcast journalism. How do you navigate that space? Have you found that? Any challenges with it or has it not really ever been a problem to you or, you know, what's your take on that world? Interesting. I mean,
0: so for me personally, the department that I work in here in Bristol is like 80% women. (laughs) So it hasn't been a huge barrier for me um, personally. But I mean, I've also, you know, there have been various um, institutions that are concerned with helping women get on in broadcasting. I mean, there's one called Sound Women West, um, which is about women who, are you know, who maybe need a leg up in broadcasting getting together. I haven't been particularly involved in that. So maybe that's not one to really talk about. But I think because, you know, I get invited to these things and I just think, well, I, I don't think my gender personally has ever really held me Mm. back I mean I'm very supportive of the idea that it is holding women back and and that you know there is more that the industry needs to do but I mean this particular facet this tiny little corner of the industry that I work in is is not particularly I mean there's 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 just lots of women working here
2: well that's lovely Mm. to hear
0: Mm. Mm. and hopefully
2: we'll hear that more and more as years go by so yeah nice
0: yeah Um, thank you
1: Emily what podcast do you enjoy listening to
0: Ooh, I tend to do you know what I tend to go in Waves. I'll get completely obsessed with something and listen to the whole thing. <laughs> so I've just listened to a, a podcast that's been around for years now, but it's been on my to listen list for ages and ages, which is uh, West Cork, which is a... Um, Oh it's it's a, it's a sort of, of that one. true crime podcast but I mean when I say true crime I get a sort of slight <laughs> shiver of revulsion cuz I say don't
2: Emma's just lit up <laughs> Oh, really I have to say
0: I'm not a massive fan of true crime there are just there are some true crime stories that I'm just like oh it's all just about murdered women and you have to hear a whole episode about mm. how beautiful she was before you can get to the criminals and I'm not <laughs> really that into that but there've been a few so West Cork is really interesting because it's more about the process, the sort of the interesting process of how a crime is prosecuted and what happens when someone's accused of a crime and there isn't enough evidence and what happens to the community around the person Mm. who is accused of crime. It's really interesting. It's got some really interesting sociology sort of behind Mm. it. It's more about this community really than it is about the crime. And so I loved that. I mean, that's been around for a few years now and it won a load of awards, but it took me ages to um, get to listen to it. Um, what else do I listen to I mean I listen to I hate to tout the work of my own colleagues but there's a um, programme from the BBC called Soul Music that my colleagues here make and Ooh, it's just nice, lovely really. well it's basically mm. every episode takes a particular song and then they find people who this song has been a real part of their life like this is the song that they were listening to when something you know really incredible happened in their life or this song means something to them for some particular reason so I it's so like of, everyone
1: could relate to that in some way mm, as well
0: yeah Oh, absolutely and it makes you it does it makes you think
1: of you know oh which which are the songs that I would nostalgia well it's like whenever you listen to desert island is you're yeah. like these are my eight tracks <laughs> exactly <Morrowing>. exactly <laughs> by the
0: way yeah so I'm really fond of them I have to say I do listen to a lot of sort of daily news podcasts which aren't particularly interesting to talk about but it is a good way to get get the news mm, mm. nice
2: where do you think podcasting might go eventually how far are we on its journey
0: oh goodness I, so I read an article just yesterday that says that it is getting harder and harder to have what you would call a, a podcast hit because there are now mm. so many podcasts. I mean, the, the very, podcast so audience is growing and growing and growing, but each individual podcast can't, is getting less and less traction actually year on year. So you've got these really big budget shows that are being mm. put out into the world and they're just not managing to get the same. I mean, all of this time and production effort and money is being spent on these. Shows that will never get one tiny tenth of the percentage of the Joe Rogan mm. podcast. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So there's it. Mm. It sort of moves in directions that you you wouldn't necessarily predict. But um, but I think mm. I think it's still going to grow. I think the growth model is not slowing down anytime soon. It's just a question of whether it grows in a way. You know, I, I wouldn't be too surprised if I saw um, really the big production companies slightly reducing the quantity of stuff that they're making and really focusing on just a few things. Because, you know, you can't listen to everything. I mean, it's completely overwhelming now looking at a podcast.
1: It is. It's difficult to choose, um, you know, to what, what to give your time to. And I agree. I think often it's best to just really invest yourself in one podcast at a time and really get, get into that. Emily, our theme for this series of The Lodgecast is hope. And we've been asking each of our guests who are involved in one way or another with the natural world or science communication or scientific research, um, with you and your work and just the process of what it takes to, to build a natural history program, what gives you hope in 2022 for our natural world in particular?
0: That's a really hard one because I actually, I slightly struggle with that myself, I have to say. I mean, it, it is quite hard to imagine that we're going to be able to turn the corner there are various programmes that I've heard which are laying out the the sort of the route to salvation or the various little things that we could be doing or even the various big things, you know, the things that would give him hope. I mean, I'd point your listeners towards a great series um, called 39 Ways to Save the Planet. Mm. Um, which Oh, I listened to a bit of that. It's great. And there's some really great solutions in there. And, you, you know, you hear that and by the end of it, you're like, yes, we're going to do it. We're going to turn the corner. I get really dispirited by just sort of the political lack of will. Mm. Uh, it's, it seems... Sort of un- unfightable. But I mean, in terms of what does give me hope, um, the underlying resilience of the natural world itself is something that I get mm. great hope from. I mean, I'm actually, I'm reading a book at the moment, which is about geology and the, you know, the several times that our planet has gone through mass extinction events and has sort of come out on top. If you think of individual animals that might be doomed, it's very easy to just d- despair. But if you think about the ecosystem as a whole, it's something will survive and that thing <laughs> will be beautiful in some way um and that i know that's a very small crumb <laughs> of hope in a way but you know the the natural world is is not going to be defeated by us it is just going to be massively massively changed by us and that's sad but you know mm. there will always be elements of it that survive
2: mm. thank you that is a very um heartrending note to finish on <laughs> <laughs> but I'll leave our listeners with lots to think about thank you so much Emily for your time today it's been fascinating to talk to you about podcasting and and the world of broadcasting and where it all might go thank you it's been a real pleasure thank you so much for having me on whoa head spinning totally new angles for us to actually consider podcasting and broadcasting and being in people's ears and why that matters to them but um what mm. uh, yeah amazing lady she's doing such great stuff and uh, so humble about mm. her career and it's great amazing
1: yeah she is no it's really interesting to chat to someone else about sort of as she was saying when we finished the call the mechanics of podcasting mm. and how you sort of don't tend to really think about it you're just sort of obsessing over the content and the jokes and the facts and everything, but actually the how you do it and why you're doing it and what's motivating it and whether your priorities for generating this content align with the priorities of the planet is a really interesting one to mull over. Well, fantastically, it is now time for the quiz.
2: <laughs> so Emma, will yes. you step on in um, and step take, out of your box. adopt the Come forth.
3: seat. This bloody box. Yeah. I'm here, <laughs> but I'm ready I'm ready to quiz you this time. She's coming back with a vengeance yeah. out her
2: box. in your face.
3: payback pay for keeping me locked in though.
1: <laughs> well we're
2: having um, some
3: sort of social services ringing us being like,
1: so, is it, is she alright.
3: <laughs> this quiz, I was I was thinking about it over, over the Christmas break. I thought, oh, what can I gosh. ask you guys? Invested.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Well, it's because I was doing a lot of reading over the Christmas break and I thought, hey, Healthy. I yeah. know that you two also both really enjoy a good oh, book. No. A good nature book. here we go. Oh crap! Don't like where this is going. <laughs> well, <laughs> so this is name the animal, complete the book title. Ooh, Let me oh, I'm going to give you a book title, there. cool quiz yeah. with okay. a missing animal. Oh. What we're going we're gonna to try, and it's going to be the first <laughs> person that shouts out the right one. Oh, but if you can't find them, I have got options of <laughs> three. On. Okay, question For one. Where result, the yes. what's sing?
1: Oh, oh, dads. Oh. Where the crawdads sing? yes yes, yes sophie very oh, nice point to sophie thanks best book ever the perfect i book. haven't
3: started reading it yet oh, but it's, um, well, it's a mixture of either. crime novel <gasps> and a celebration of nature right and Ladies, these are my two favorite things it
1: is the perfect book i cannot stress this enough
3: i only only recently found out what a crawdad was and that was because i was googling this because um <laughs> Spoken like a total fool. I was like, "Wow, well, obviously it's like some kind of raven. Um, and then I Googled it and it's a crayfish. And I was like, okay. Cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Didn't know that. Hmm. Okay, book book two. The soul of a what? No idea. Oh, God. The soul of an what?
1: Uh, can we have a clue or shall we just guess?
3: You're welcome to guess, but I could give you a choice of three. Yes, please. Is it the soul of an earthworm? <laughs> is it oh. the soul of an octopus? octopus. Or the soul of an eagle?
1: Ooh. Oh, octopus. I was
2: going to say octopus. Oh- yeah. I was going to
3: say octopus, but I'll just—I'm going to say earthworm for a laugh. Uh, it's octopus. Well, of course, people went straight in for the win.
1: I would like someone to write a book
3: about the soul of an earthworm yeah. though, because they are pretty fundamental. Me too. Soil is so yeah. cool. So this was a surprising exploration into the wonder of consciousness by Cy Montgomery. Mm. The old man and the—I don't know. Uh, can we have? It's by it's by Will Millard. If you know him, no, yeah. sorry, Will. Okay, is it the old man and the hedgehog? The old man and the sand eel, or the old man and the swallows. Sand eel. Old oh, man
1: and the swallows. Oh, sand eel. It was sand eel. Is it? Yeah. Why?
3: Yeah. Why? It's a book about. It's Why? about Why? fishing. Why it and about bill? several <laughs> three generations of men trying to figure out what it means to be a man, a father, and a fisherman. Uh-huh. So, Crikey, that's was, a yeah.
1: that's that's a good cracking one. quiz well, though.
2: What a great go. idea! That's I
0: love
1: different. that quiz. Really creative. Enjoyed that. A lot. Really creative. <laughs> so creative. Did you just write up really creative well okay.
3: well done eva well big, done, eva. a big gold star <laughs> goes to you yeah. i'll stick it on the door of my cage as i climb back into my bed <laughs> off you go now
1: great <laughs> quiz thanks emma thanks emma and that's it for this episode of the lodgecast tune in again next week as we're joined by beaver researcher sam Gandhi, who recently published a paper looking at the psychological benefits of beaver wetlands In fact, make sure you've subscribed to the LodgeCast on your podcast platform of choice so that you don't miss any of them. And for more from Beaver Trust, don't forget that you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Beaver Trust. So head over to our website, beavertrust.org, and also sign up to our free newsletter.
2: Don't forget that to celebrate this series, we're giving away a few copies of Derek Gow's book, Bringing Back the Beaver,
1: well worth a read, all about introducing beavers to the UK. So for your shot at getting a copy, all you have to do is post about how much you love The LodgeCast by tagging at Beaver Trust and using hashtag The Lodgecast on Twitter or Instagram, or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and email us a screen grab of it so that we know it was you and email it over to info at beavertrust.org.
2: We've been loving seeing all the entries so far, so keep them coming and we will announce the winners at the end of the series. See you next week. This podcast, as always, is a mixture of fact and opinion. It was hosted by Sophie Pavel and Eva Bishop. It was produced and edited by Emma Brisdian for Beaver Trust.